Today is March 10th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer, and I am grateful to be here. I am so glad that you're here. And I need to be honest with y'all. Can y'all handle some more honesty? It has been a week. Between these Israelites and their grumbling and complaining, these disciples and their utter failure to show up when Jesus needs them the most, actually, their cowardly abandonment of Jesus altogether, and of course, this is Lent season, where I have intentionally been a little more solemn as I ponder the cross. And yes, I am talking about these ancient stories as if they are a part of my life and happening to me right now in the present, because that's how I connect with them so that I can learn from them and apply the lessons. And maybe you do that too. But aside from that, my family and I have been thrust into another torrent of grief as we lost my husband's father. Mr. Russell Wainwright this week. And if you've been listening daily, then you know that just last month, I found the wherewithal to meaningfully engage the grief that I've often suppressed with my mom over the last few years. And then this, I know that death is a part of life, and I understand that grief is a complex process, but it still hurts, and it's still hard, and it's still exhausting, and life still goes on. It does not stop. And the really hard part about grief is that it does not wait for you to finish the project you were working on. And it doesn't care if you have a million things to do today or tomorrow. It does not care about your to-do list, your deadlines, or the fact that you have a meeting tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. or if there's a birthday party to go to or a plane ticket to purchase. Grief just comes in and makes everything else scooch over. Or it'll settle down on top of everything else, whether you want it to or not. Listen, grief is like, if you don't make room for me, I will make room for myself and knock all of this stuff over. So I am taking my moments as I can, taking care of myself and my family as best as I can. And I am leaning into the fact that sometimes life is hard and you have to lean into the hard parts. I am leaning into this grief because it's here and it's not going anywhere, clearly. But I am also encouraged and comforted because I know that it is in these moments of brokenheartedness that God is near. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I am not just saying this because I believe it's the Christian thing to say. I don't do that. I know this to be true because I have experienced his nearness in other times like this. And while I understand that this season will include moments of heaviness and sorrow, I am confident that the Lord will bring joy, peace, and rest. And if you're in the midst of grief or navigating some kind of hard journey right now, know that I empathize, I understand, and I am thinking of you. With that said, I promised my hubby that I would not do a commentary today because we have a lot going on over here. But when y'all hear today's reading, I think you are going to know how hard it was for me to keep that promise. But I hope that you will take some time today to reflect 
on the passion narrative. Even though we've heard Matthew's take already, today we're hearing Mark's. Let's keep in mind that this, what we're reading about, is the most important event in the history of humanity. How, how do we respond to that? Do we look at the cross of Christ and say, ooh, I'm glad that's over with? Or do we look at it and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me? Let's consider how we answer that question. What is our response as we flow into this word and allow this word to flow into us? Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 through chapter 15, verse 16. The message. The whole community was in an uproar, wailing all night long. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The entire community was in on it. Why didn't we die in Egypt or in this wilderness? Why has God brought us to this country to kill us? Our wives and children are about to become plunder. Why don't we just head back to Egypt and right now? Soon they were all saying it to one another. Let's pick a new leader. Let's head back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in front of the entire community, gathered in emergency session. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, members of the scouting party, ripped their clothes and addressed the assembled people of Israel. The land we walk through and scouted out is a very good land, very good indeed. If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land that flows, as they say, with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Just don't rebel against God. And don't be afraid of those people. Why, we'll have them for lunch. They have no protection and God is on our side. Don't be afraid of them. But up in arms now, the entire community was talking of hurling stones at them. Just then, the bright glory of God appeared at the tent of meeting. Every Israelite saw it. God said to Moses, How long will these people treat me like dirt? How long refuse to trust me? And with all these signs I've done among them, I had enough. I'm going to hit them with a plague and kill them. But I'll make you into a nation bigger and stronger than they ever were. But Moses said to God, The Egyptians are going to hear about this. You delivered this people from Egypt with a great show of strength. And now this? The Egyptians will tell everyone. They've already heard that you are God, that you are on the side of this people, that you are present among them, that they see you with their own eyes in your cloud that hovers over them, in the pillar of cloud that leads them by day and the pillar of fire at night. If you kill this entire people in one stroke, all the nations that have heard what has been going on will say, since God couldn't get these people into the land which he had promised to give them, he slaughtered them out in the wilderness. Now please, let the power of the master expand, enlarge itself greatly along the lines you have laid out earlier when you said, God, slow to get angry and huge in loyal love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin, still never just whitewashing sin, but extending the fallout of parent sins to children into the third, even the fourth generation. 
Please forgive the wrongdoing of this people out of the extravagance of your loyal love just as all along. From the time they left Egypt, you have been forgiving this people. God said, I forgive them, honoring your words. But as I live and as the glory of God fills the whole earth, not a single person of those who saw my glory saw the miracle signs I did in Egypt and the wilderness and who have tested me over and over and over again, turning a deaf ear to me, not one of them will set eyes on the land I so solemnly promised to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with such repeated contempt will see it. But my servant Caleb, this is a different story. He has a different spirit. He follows me passionately. I'll bring him into the land that he scouted and his children will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are so well established in the valleys, for right now, change course and head back into the wilderness following the route to the Red Sea. God spoke to Moses and Aaron. How long is this going to go on, all this grumbling against me by this evil-infested community? I've had my fill of complaints from these grumbling Israelites. Tell them, as I live, God's decree, here's what I'm going to do. Your corpses are going to litter the wilderness. Every one of you 20 years and older who was counted in the census, this whole generation of grumblers and grousers, not one of you will enter the land and make your home there, the firmly and solemnly promised land, except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Your children, the very ones that you said would be taken for plunder, I'll bring in to enjoy the land you rejected while your corpses will be rotting in the wilderness. These children of yours will live as shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years, living with the fallout of your whoring unfaithfulness until the last of your generation lies a corpse in the wilderness. You scouted out the land for 40 days. Your punishment will be a year for each day, a 40-year sentence to serve for your sins, a long schooling in my displeasure. I, God, have spoken. I will most certainly carry out these things against this entire evil-infested community which has banded together against me. In this wilderness, they will come to their end. There they will die. So it happened that the men Moses sent to scout out the land returned to circulate false rumors about the land, causing the entire community to grumble against Moses. All these men died. Having spread false rumors of the land, they died in a plague, confronted by God. Only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were left alive of the men who went to scout out the land. When Moses told all of this to the people of Israel, they mourned long and hard. But early the next morning, they started out for the high hill country, saying, We're here. We're ready. Let's go up and attack the land that God promised us. We sinned, but now we're ready. But Moses said, Why are you crossing God's command yet again? This won't work. 
Don't attack. God isn't with you in this. You'll be beaten badly by your enemies. The Amalekites and Canaanites are ready for you and they'll kill you. Because you have left off obediently following God, God is not going to be with you in this. But they went anyway, recklessly and arrogantly. They climbed to the high hill country, but the chest of the covenant and Moses didn't budge from the camp. The Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came out of the hills and attacked and beat them, a route all the way down to Hormah. Matters of Worship God spoke to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel. Tell them, When you enter your homeland that I am giving to you and sacrifice a fire gift to God, a whole burnt offering or any sacrifice from the herd or flock for a vow offering or free will offering at one of the appointed feasts as a pleasing fragrance for God, the one bringing the offering shall present to God a grain offering of two quarts of fine flour mixed with a quart of oil. With each lamb for the whole burnt offering or other sacrifice, prepare a quart of oil and a quart of wine as a drink offering. For a ram, prepare a grain offering of four quarts of fine flour mixed with one and a quarter quarts of oil and one and a quarter quarts of wine as a drink offering. Present it as a pleasing fragrance to God. When you prepare a young bull as a whole burnt offering or sacrifice for a special vow or a peace offering to God, bring with the bull a grain offering of six quarts of fine flour and two quarts of oil. Also, bring two quarts of wine as a drink offering. It will be a fire gift, a pleasing fragrance to God. Each bull or ram, each lamb or young goat, is to be prepared in the same way. Carry out this procedure for each one, no matter how many you have to prepare. Every native-born Israelite is to follow this procedure when he brings a fire gift as a pleasing fragrance to God. In future generations, when a foreigner or visitor living at length among you presents a fire gift as a pleasing fragrance to God, the same procedures must be followed. The community has the same rules for you and the foreigner living among you. This is the regular rule for future generations. You and the foreigner are the same before God. The same laws and regulations apply to both you and the foreigner who lives with you. Mark chapter 14, verse 53 through 72. Condemned to death. They led Jesus to the chief priest where the high priests, religious leaders, and scholars had gathered together. Peter followed at a safe distance until they got to the chief priest's courtyard where he mingled with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. The high priests, conspiring with the Jewish council, looked high and low for evidence against Jesus by which they could sentence him to death. They found nothing. Plenty of people were willing to bring in false charges, but nothing added up, and they ended up canceling each other out. Then, a few of them stood up and lied. We heard him say, I am going to tear down this temple, built by hard labor, and in three days build another without lifting a hand. But even they couldn't agree exactly. In the middle of this, the chief priest stood up and asked Jesus, 
What do you have to say to the accusation? Jesus was silent. He said nothing. The chief priest tried again, this time asking, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, Yes, I am, and you'll see it yourself. The Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Mighty One, arriving on the clouds of heaven. The chief priest lost his temper. Ripping his clothes, he yelled, Did you hear that? After that, do we need witnesses? You heard the blasphemy. Are you going to stand for it? They condemned him, one and all. The sentence? Death. Some of them started spitting at him. They blindfolded his eyes, then hit him, saying, Who hit you? Prophesy. The guards, punching and slapping, took him away. The rooster crowed. While all this was going on, Peter was down in the courtyard. One of the chief priest's servant girls came in and, seeing Peter warming himself there, looked hard at him and said, You were with the Nazarene, Jesus. He denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. He went out on the porch. A rooster crowed. The girl spotted him and began telling the people standing around, He's one of them. He denied it again. After a little while, the bystanders brought it up again. You've got to be one of them. You've got Galilean written all over you. Now Peter got really nervous and swore, I never laid eyes on this man you're talking about. Just then, the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. He collapsed in tears. Psalm 53 Bilious and bloated, they gas. God is gone. It's poison gas. They fouled themselves. They poison rivers and skies. Thistles are their cash crop. God sticks his head out of heaven. He looks around. He's looking for someone not stupid. One man even. God expectant. Just one God-ready woman. He comes up empty, a string of zeros, useless, unshepherded sheep taking turns pretending to be shepherd. The ninety and nine follow the one. Don't they know anything, all these predators? Don't they know they can't get away with this? Treating people like a fast food meal over which they're too busy to pray? Night is coming for them, and nightmare, a nightmare they'll never wake up from. God will make hash of these squatters, send them packing for good. Is there anyone around to save Israel? God turns life around. Turned around, Jacob skips rope. Turned around, Israel sings laughter. Proverbs 11 verse 4 A thick bankroll is no help when life falls apart, but a principled life can stand up to the worst. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. As we come before you today, Lord, we acknowledge your sovereignty over life and death. In the midst of our grief now and in the future, Lord, we want to draw near to you who is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, you are the safest place for us to be, and we take hold of your grace and your comfort, knowing that you bring joy and peace, even in the valley of the shadow of death. 
Thank you, Lord, for your presence, for your comfort, and for your covering. Give us wherewithal to face our grief, humility to nestle into your arms, and hope to see through our tears into a meaningful future. Fill us with the peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, as much as we don't like the tough times, we thank you for the hard moments in life that remind us of our fallibility and your faithfulness. And Lord, as we remembering the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross now and whenever it comes to mind, Lord, we will be so careful never to be cavalier or casual or become so familiar with the story of the sacrifice that was made for us that it loses its potency or its power and its poignance in our lives. Lord, help us to be ever mindful of its truth and its immensity and of the knowledge that without Without that cross, we would be without hope, without love, without a future, without you. We want to live each day in both the light and shadow of that cross, knowing that we are loved, forgiven, and accepted as we are, but also knowing that we must always strive to become the best versions of ourselves, to honor what it costs for our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you, we magnify you, we honor you, and we lift up your name. In your son Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. And our affirmation, Today I release the weight of all fear, worry, and doubt, and take up courage, confidence, and joy. Today I release the weight of all fear, worry, and doubt and take up courage, confidence, and joy. And our aphorism. An inner voice always used to be an outer voice that we have absorbed and made our own. Many of our inner voices need editing out. I'm going to say that one again. An inner voice always used to be an outer voice that we have absorbed and made our own. Many of our inner voices need editing out. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being here with me. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I love you and I will be right here tomorrow waiting for you.